Let us pray. Most gracious God, thank you that you have given us your word, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, these words might be to us living and active words, your word of life, of truth, of love, your very self spoken unto us, and leaving us more and more changed into your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are continuing a summer sermon series in studying the Sabbath. We've been looking at that Sabbath in Sunday school and then Wednesday discipleship outlets. And each week a different theme, a different angle on Sabbath. Today we consider Isaiah chapter 56 verses 3 through 8 to ground our exploration of this same theme. Today we hear these words. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading comes from Matthew, chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. But when Jesus saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The summer after first grade, we moved from an area of Cincinnati called Forest Park to another area called Wyoming. And I have very few memories of elementary school on the whole, but I still vividly recall standing in line before the very first day of school at Hilltop Elementary and fearfully, anxiously clutching the straps of my backpack with everything that I had. Because back at Forest Park, I had friends, I had teachers I knew, I had routines I knew. Hilltop was this terrifying array of children who all seemed to know one another and be friends. Did you ever move schools as a child? Do you remember any of the accompanying awkwardness or anxiety? I think some of those memories remain with us because that feeling of dislocation and uncertainty and, and, and belonging or lack of belonging, it, it can be so powerful. Those moments are certainly echoed into the 
adult years in various ways. You move to a new neighborhood or a new job or a new residence. And even if it is for an exciting or good reason, there is this inevitable anxiety about how will we fit? How will it work? Will I fit? Finding a church. Some of the very same anxieties. Moving to another country. All those anxieties heighten that much more because of the lack of the the support network and some of the cultural assumptions. And then, of course, living in an age of unprecedented global migration as we are, surely one of the most shared sentiments across humanity today has to do with fears of belonging, acceptance, who fits, who doesn't, who's in, who's out. How does this all come together or, or not? This is really the pressing question facing the people of God in Isaiah chapter 56. Many years ago, you may recall, God had sent the people of God in exile, scattered them from their home in Jerusalem as, as in the promised land as, as a punishment for their sins. And so they, they became a dislocated, almost homeless people flung far and wide in the Babylonian Empire. But now 70 years later, during the time of the Isaiah 56 pronouncement, the people are gathered back. And among them, there are people who uh, had cooperated and even assimilated to some of the Babylonian practices and, and, and ways. There are other Jews being brought back in who had not cooperated, not assimilated, had tried to remain faithful to a singular Torah way. You have in Jerusalem then, of course, many foreigners, Babylonians, who over these last 70 years have made that their home. And so you've got this interesting plurality all coming together in Jerusalem and the people of God are saying well we are a a, a holy people we are a set apart people we have been given a new beginning by God and we we've got to get this right who among us belongs in the assembly and and who doesn't who are we as a people as we as we reconstitute in this new and gracious beginning And you can turn and you can read the likes of Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah and Ezra both tell a bunch of stories about this experience of coming back together. And Nehemiah 13 talks about how one experience where the people are coming together. And and people, understandably and rightly so, turn to scripture for their answer about who belongs here and, and who doesn't. They read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, the the Torah. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. Well, they're reading directly from Deuteronomy 23, where it says that. Because the Ammonites and Moabites, they didn't meet the Israelites with bread and water when they were wandering in the desert. Nehemiah 13 goes on to say, When the people heard the law, they separated Israel from all of those of foreign descent. Okay, God's word says the foreigners, especially these kind of foreigners, no. And while God's people are busy separating out these foreigners from their midst and trying to build the boundaries, God speaks a new word as recorded in Isaiah 56. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from my people. It is a word that contradicts the ancient rule of Moses in Deuteronomy 23. It actually goes on to say, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, be his servant, who keeps his Sabbath, and does not profane it, and keeps my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. In Isaiah, there's no delineation between foreign groups, friendly ones, enemy ones, good ones, bad ones. 
national identity, ethnicity, they're just ruled out for determining membership in God's worshiping assembly. Now, there are conditions to membership, and I'll return to those. But, but for a moment, let's also notice how God's message in Isaiah 56 sp- expands in yet another surprising way. God has a word about eunuchs. Eunuchs likely refer to a couple things here. Quite literally, eunuchs are men who have been castrated and not uncommon practice in the ancient world as a way of subduing an enemy or designating one to a life of servanthood where they really aren't a threat for adultery or running off to a family. They don't have one. God's people had long considered the eunuch an outsider of the assembly. Deuteronomy 23, again. He whose testicles are crushed or whose male member is cut off shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. This ban on eunuchs in the assembly had to do with the fact of the blessing given to Abraham. You remember in Genesis, God promises Abraham that I'm going to make you a great nation, a great people with descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Well, eunuchs, eunuchs can't reproduce. They can't have children. They cannot positively contribute to the fundamental mission. It's a utilitarian decision. They, they're not insiders. Eunuch... And Isaiah 56 also likely refers to any of the the Jewish people who during exile had assimilated with the Babylonian Empire in ways that really compromised their faith at some point or another. They're people whose lives are not producing fruit or very much fruit in the way of God because of the compromise. And, And so God comes along with this new word for eunuchs who are either physically compromised or spiritually compromised or perhaps both. And do not let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. I cannot have children. I cannot contribute meaningfully to the primary mission. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The eunuch is in. Uh, more than that, we, we read that these people uh, who, again, we'll come back to, to a couple of the, the stipulations here, they're going to be given a monument right there in the assembly that they might be remembered forever. God is not looking to give the eunuchs some kind of affiliate membership. Okay, these people kind of have it bad, something bad happened to them. Can we throw them a bone and get them on the periphery of this whole thing? No, the foreigner, the eunuch, right here. The eunuch's given a... I mean, we live in a time where there is no small amount of active debate about who should and who should not have monuments, which one should remain, go, be contextualized. God, God gives a monument to the outsider, the marginalized, the non-productive people, the compromised people. God gives a monument to the least of these, and one cannot help but think how this anticipates Jesus' words about the... Last shall be first. Now, as with the foreigner, God gives a word about eunuchs that contradicts a previous word. And we start to think, what, what's going on here? How are these people, of all people, being brought to the center of the assembly, the, the membership to be sure, both foreigners and eunuchs are given conditions for membership. We read there that the hold fast to my covenant, it's a fairly general phrase that likely refers most particularly to, to the Ten Commandments. 
But then scholar after scholar will note that what is most fascinating, what is most memorable about this passage is that Isaiah takes time to underscore one particular aspect of God's covenant that is especially critical for membership. It really boils down to this this one thing that is of utmost importance, central importance. It is named three times in just the first eight verses of Isaiah 56 in this remarkable commandment. Keep the Sabbath. Of all the things God could list as most critical, most central for finding a way for all the people to be gathered, Sabbath. Why? Listen to the end of the fourth commandment as it is articulated in Deuteronomy. You remember, it begins, observe the Sabbath, keep it holy as the Lord God has commanded And then it it ends by saying, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe a Sabbath day. Now, we've talked a good bit this summer about how the Sabbath involves ceasing from work, resting. We've debated precisely what that does and doesn't mean. What we've not yet underscored is how the commandment includes a remembering On the Sabbath, the people are to remember they were slaves in Egypt and God brought them out. Importantly, there are numerous scriptures in the Old Testament that highlight that which the thing that the people are to remember in particular about that situation is that they were immigrants or foreigners or aliens in Egypt and they were mistreated to the point of enslavement. On the Sabbath, remember what it's like To be an immigrant, a foreigner. On the Sabbath, remember what it's like to be foreign labor. On the Sabbath, remember what it's like to not have a home, to not know where you fit or if you're fit or how you'll fit. On the Sabbath, remember what it was for you to be utterly helpless to change your circumstance. On the Sabbath, remember what it was to be impotent to do anything but make bricks as a slave. And on the Sabbath, remember then how profoundly and graciously God delivered you and gave you a home. Remember how God brought you from the margins into the center. I mean, how often human communities are built around that which we take pride in. That which is our strength. I mean, we're a people of this heritage, this tradition. This flag, we, we, we follow this really great leader, this wonderful philosophy, this great platform. Uh, we're people accepted to this great school, this great company, this great club. We're people with a great name. Abraham is our ancestor, they cry in Matthew 3. I mean, we bond and we build around our strengths, the things that make us unique, if not exclusive. And to be sure, I think there is such a thing as, as a healthy pride. But how often it is the seeds of discord and division and distrust and prejudice and even outright hatred that find ready soil in places of pride if we are not careful. Was not Israel sent into exile because they were so proud and sure of their lineage and their way that they actually forgot about the widow, the orphan, and foreigner in their midst they forgot that they themselves were for most of their history a bunch of wandering immigrants and so they stopped noticing the wandering and the hurting God says my people 
my community, they shall not they shall be built around a commandment that has them remember every single week not their strength but their weakness, not their power but their shared sense of dependence on me. What what makes an insider is actively remembering that one was an outsider and that one has a complete and humble dependence on God. I wonder on this Sabbath day, what do we remember? What comes to mind as we try to take seriously this invitation? Where are those spaces where we have known a profound sense of dislocation, of uncertainty, of anxiety, whether literal or within? Where are those seasons? Maybe we did. We had, you know what, some money or titles or schooling. But we also can remember a profound sense of helplessness and a need for mercy, for forgiveness, for provision, for home. Where are those times where we can remember, yes, feeling absolutely impotent or weakened or unable to do anything helpful or or good or, or, or right? Where do we name those times of, and seasons of deep dependence? And in some sense, cannot we name that as always true at some basic level? It's pa- fascinating how Paul picks up on this very logic when he is exhorting and trying to build up the church into something so much stronger and experiencing this deeper unity across ethnic lines in Ephesians 2. He says, remember... That at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope, without God in the world. And Paul doesn't name Sabbath keeping in any, in any explicit way as a conduit for remembering, but he names the same truth. Take time to remember that you were not in God, not at home in God's people. Remember what it was to be fearful and a sense of hopelessness. And then Paul says, continues, and remember how you have been brought near, not by your pedigree or your power, but by the blood of Christ. You've been taken from the periphery and brought right to the center. Everything you have, your home, your life, your life eternal, your family, your sense of purpose, your direction, your hope, any and all of it, it is all a gift if you really do remember And this really starts to get at the point of honest remembrance invited in Sabbath keeping. It humbles us. It makes us see at any given moment it's all a gift. It's grace through and through, first to last. And God knows that the strongest, most inclusive, most diverse community of people gathers not around their strength, but around their weakness, their need. The next time I moved to a new school was in the fourth grade. Hilltop Elementary School ended in third grade, and so everyone had to move to Wyoming Middle School. And by that time, I had two good years of Wyoming, two good years of friendships. And so on the first day of school, that of fourth grade, my teacher mentions a student ambassador program, and my ears prick up. Would any of you fourth graders who have been at Wyoming for a year or more, would any of you like to be a student ambassador? We have some new kids joining the class. They, they're from here and here and here and here, and they don't know anyone. 
If you'd be interested in being their ambassador, someone who sits with them at lunch, invites them to play at recess, tries to be a friend, if, if you're interested, would you please talk to me when the bell rings, after the bell rings? Now, not because I'm terribly special or really nice or wanted more friends. Actually, I was painfully shy. But what came to mind when the teacher said that thing about those students was the memory of standing in line and clenching that backpack with all that I had as if I might be able to just grip my way into belonging. So fearful was I of not having a place. Oh, I remembered being a foreigner. Well, I signed up to be a student ambassador. Again, this wasn't some great upswing of love that built in me. It was just this immediate sense of kinship to those who are arriving. I know what that's about. To this day, I remember I was an ambassador to Kier Lehman and Blair Mezabov. Our scripture, it ends in verse 8 today by declaring that God is going to continue gathering even more surprising people right to the center of God's community. Giving monuments to all the wrong people in a primary way through which God continues to do that work of gathering is by way of God's people. Who become so adept in their Sabbath keeping at regularly remembering, you know what, I was once a foreigner, I was once a eunuch. That they're given eyes to see the foreigners and eunuchs and outsiders in their midst and so Sabbath people, they come into the conversations of our time differently, having been grounded in their own weakness and dislocation. Sabbath people, they enter these spaces of worship and they remember the sense of dislocation and anxiety upon a first visit or returning after many years. And they sense a kinship with those who might know the same. Sabbath people, they enter the immigration debate fully aware that there are no easy, obvious solutions for how nations work these things out. But they also lead in their heart remembering the times when storms or violence or failures or abuse came and they knew in their own eyes a profound sense of dislocation or even homelessness. They sense a kinship and they lead certainly from that space. Sabbath people, they enter the conversation with one who has doubts about the faith and, and real questions, not with, here's some answers, but, yeah, I've been there, or I'm there. They know about kinship. Sabbath people, they enter an addiction crisis in their family or, or, or nationwide, not first with judgments or solutions, but remembering, in fact, their own impotence, their own seasons of failing, their own seasons of compromise. They sense actually a kinship with those who've known a deep weakness. Humble, remembering, birth, surprising, countercultural kinship. Wherein the church cannot help but want to be ambassadors who are the welcome of Jesus Christ to the foreigner and the eunuch. May the Holy Spirit kindle in each of us a faithful remembrance this day. And in that remembrance, may the Holy Spirit give us fresh eyes to see the foreigners and the eunuchs in our midst. For in fact, they are we and we together are the unlikely people who have been brought to the center of God by Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.